0: Sound check.
1: What's your favorite Thanksgiving,
0: like, item? Canadian Thanksgiving is my favorite Thanksgiving. Um, no, I mean item.
1: <laughs> Are you a side dish item? guy? Are you a meats guy? Like, what is it that uh, Alex all enjoys the most when it comes to the Thanksgiving spread?
0: Um, I would say favorite Thanksgiving outside of
1: pumpkin pie. Ooh, yeah. Pumpkin pie is like an obvious one. And by the way, pumpkin pie. Vanilla ice cream on it or just straight up pumpkin pie? Whipped cream. Whipped cream. I like yeah. vanilla ice cream. Really? Yeah. On the pumpkin pie. On the pumpkin pie. Heat up the pie. Pumpkin pie. Ice, vanilla ice cream is
0: more of a,
1: yeah, you need to put the whip. 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 Cool
0: whip. And it's And it's one for you for the pie, two for you, two being my mouth. <laughs> if, it's, if it's like a, like a ready whip, like All out right. of the can.
1: So pumpkin pie, but as far as actual food items. Do you You're like Brussels sprouts? Pie, pie is not food. No, it is,
0: but that's a dessert. No, I hear you. I I do feel like everyone talks about it being a turkey dinner. Like turkey to me, I don't Take mind it. Take it or leave it. The problem with turkey is it's actually quite inconsistent, mm-hmm. especially if you are a family that does sort of the the rotating holidays where it's like, oh, this year, this year the holidays that uh, – This aunt's house. And this year it's somewhere else. I don't want to say names because I don't want to get in trouble because I know all my aunts are listening. Um, (laughs) What else would they be Big hockey fans. That actually means they're not listening. Um, But the sides, if that's more of a potluck thing, the sides usually are the real time to shine because usually when people bring the sides, it's Mm -hmm. their sort of, oh, I'm good at this, so I'm going to bring that. And they brought it. They brought it big time. In my
1: belly. (laughs) because i mean i love mac and cheese it's not a traditional thanksgiving side but if i see mac and cheese and we talked to colby armstrong a bit earlier and he said the same thing like i bet he laughed through the whole thing too. oh he just missed i miss colby <laughs> but yeah mac and cheese i don't know if it's a traditional thanksgiving item absolutely not but if i see mac and cheese as a side dish that's what i'm going for first really 100 percent. you just get in there after oh, the mac and cheese especially baked mac and cheese with a crusty top bacon mac mm. and cheese well, that oh, that's right i too. Yeah. i've had uh bacon mac and cheese baked into it it's good tasty
0: baked bacon mac and cheese mm-hmm. double baked that's what i do for warm-up exercises before the podcast <laughs> double bake no baked bacon mac and cheese <laughs> right before you get on air yeah to uh, loosen up those vocal Well, i don't have the same training i used to because i don't have that daily yes. on air um Feeding? I don't know. Feeding? I, I just thought of a, of <laughs> a right. Thanksgiving buffet. Oh, you're going to spill a bottle. Almost, okay. I'm almost. Sorry. Let, let's okay. not do that. Is that right. enough preamble? I believe so. Okay. All right. Let's get to the meat, <laughs> <laughs> or the, let's get to the turkey of this conversation. Uh, some gravy on top. Mm.
1: Gravy. I, Brussels sprouts. I love good, good, <laughs> good stuffing or dressing, as good some stuffing. say. Yes. You know, what's a great, great meat item that doesn't get, doesn't happen <laughs> enough. It's prime rib. Prime rib instead of ham and. <laughs> turkey i go prime no, rib. I, no one is disputing <laughs> the quality i'm saying prime good, rib
0: over turkey good and ham prime, yeah but prime rib that's a that's it's good yeah it's I'm a saying. pricey difficult item to get right but
1: it's it's better i agree i mean I turkey like takes rib. a long time to make mm-hmm. too it's not like mm-hmm. it's you just pop it in and it's done unless you get it prepared all right uh, enough we'll pop, get to the real hockey Pop the talk. weenie drain the bomb <laughs> or the little
0: warm biscuits oh butter toasty biscuits <laughs> <laughs> And producer Cam has left. Yeah, uh, is, is is this a show? Hello, <laughs> anybody here, left? Let me have a sip before we begin. Or okay. you could you could start it
1: off. All right. This is the Canucks Pod with Satyar R. and Alex Ald. Welcome to this week's edition of the Canucks Pod. I'm Satyar R. Shaw with Alex Ald here on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 650. What is up, Aldi? How you been? I've been good. Yeah, been, I know it's been uh, a busy time for you and your family this time of year.
0: Very well, very busy. Uh, U.S. Thanksgiving, yes, tied into Black Friday holiday sales. What do you What do you got going on with your water bottle? It's just, I just had a sip so of it. real, real pros. Okay, you undo it uh-huh. and, you, and you leave it because you can't be. But I might like tip it over. Well, you might, I'm clumsy. yes. But real pros, they understand balance and equilibrium, and they understand that you know, bottle and. You just put it on a flat surface and you're good. it anyway, is. that's what the problem. squeaky noise is. You're not a real pro. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you a vo- ex- you're a volunteer. You can't expect an amateur to behave like a pro. Good point. Very good point. <laughs> um, yeah. So very busy time mm-hmm. at the uh, at the jewelry shop. Yeah. Um, little Melanie All Jewelry plug. I see Melanie All Jewelry everywhere nowadays. Yeah, I see it in my dreams. I've been <laughs> I've been making I've been making boxes for days straight. Folding like tissue. gift boxes? No, like, like shipping boxes. I've been folding tissue and making boxes, and I'm like, what is up with my career decisions?
1: What's more tedious, opening and closing the bench Working door? for sure. Well, oh, I mean, that's no, obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> that's obvious. You need to ask those No, you questions. No, you don't... You
0: don't don't you know anything about hockey culture? The backup goalie doesn't actually <laughs> did you hear that segue into hockey culture. Yeah, That's good, where we're good. going, folks. <laughs> yes. The it backup is. goalie doesn't actually open and close the door. No, I know. Sit That's- back. Sometimes you got a little towel. Sometimes you got some popcorn and you're stuffed in the top of your pad and you just sit there and Munch. Or if you're
1: John Garrett, you hide a hot dog in your pads. That's or if true. you're another goalie, you put, um, uh, what was it, jawbreakers in your pads and that leads to a severe knee injury because you forget to <laughs> yeah. take him out when you, yeah. you get called into the and game. And then I
0: think there was also someone in the HL who went out and they started playing and then Skittles. Flew <laughs> all over the ice because they had a pack of Skittles in their pad. Yeah. That's, like, the, things this,
1: happen. The it, pack of know? Skittles exploded on contact, yeah. pretty much. Well, it was already
0: open, right? Oh. And right. it was stuffed down in the top, and then they go out there, and then all of a sudden there's a Skittles all over the ice. Anyway.
1: Anyways, well, that's uh, that's a light part of hockey culture, I suppose. We're going to get to some Canucks talk as well. Uh, they blew a three goal lead against the pittsburgh penguins in the third period we'll talk about a young team or young key players on a team that also has lots of veterans how did they overcome and we'll take stock at the canucks where they're at at, at u.s thanksgiving yes i know you saw my laptop there's a football game <laughs> yeah. on my laptop yeah regardless i thought that was research and i look you're like talking and you look down and oh i mean that's just yeah, okay. you know i have my other tabs open Regardless. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to lots of uh, Canucks talk on the Canucks pod, but obviously, as you segued into it... Oh, uh, touchdown. <laughs> Sorry. No, no it I'm wasn't touchdown. It was a first down. <laughs> I can't see it. You only you only brought it for you. Well, do you want to no, watch? No, I don't. It Here. would just distract me from well, the right. topics that yeah, have. Multitask. All right. Hockey culture has been talked about quite a bit the last little while, and I mean, we don't have to sit here and revisit the Babcock situation, the Don Cherry situation, and the Bill Peters one because you know everybody who's listening now has heard these stories. They know what's going on, and everybody has an idea of where they stand on these issues. The biggest, to- the bigger topic, general topic that we wanted to get to here is: is there something that needs to change within the confines of professional hockey? And let's step aside from say the minor leagues for a moment, just about the NHL especially? Is there a problem here or is it a bigger human problem that we keep pigeonholing into pro
0: hockey? Well, I would say both. Uh, yes, I think things need to change. I think, um, but that's that's society as well. The, the way I've always viewed it is that um, sports, professional sports, uh, any anything that's sort of creates that has that entertainment value has a group of people like-minded individuals trying to achieve a common goal like and and sports sports teams it's this this sort of hyper concentrated version of a, of a certain area or a certain segment of society like a, that's a microcosm of what else is going on in the world and at the end of the day there are there are so many things that go into it so many factors a hundred percent in my mind, there need to be changes. But a hundred percent in my mind, there need to be changes in all walks of life in so many different aspects. And and when you look at it from the point of view of young players who leave home at a young age, are raised being told, you know, to respect your coach, to to do what your coach tells you, which is what I tell my my son as well, mm-hmm. and and I, I raise my kids to be respectful of authority figures that's why it's so important that the people that are put in those positions of trust are the right people and in that is that's a crucial aspect as well there there is there is so much to to get into on all of this i i just i see that you leave home at a young age and you're you're just trying to fit in you're trying to make it you have a dream you've sacrificed a lot to try and make that dream a reality and you're just trying to stay in some some instances you're just trying to survive another day in the sport in the, on the team in the locker room and some people who if they've been taught to respect their coach and respect their team and their teammates more if the if the emphasis is more to respect those things than yourself as an individual then I think things can get a little bit dicey and then on the flip side of it is if, if somebody is abusing that power they have and and in this instance we're specifically talking about coaches if they abuse that power they have then that's what it is it's abuse it's abuse of that power and it's you know we hear all these terms whether it's bullying or all these types of scenarios like that's that's what it is and it's wrong and it's something that I, I I think there's hope for because we're having conversations like this because people are are putting their stories out and and being heard and so I think there's there is a path forward I think there's promise in that but
1: there's still a lot of work to be done. It's not just a race issue. It has become about race because of what Bill Peters said to Akeem Alou. This goes back to um, the Rockford team in 2009, dropping the N-word, talking about the music, uh, musical selections, Mm -hmm. I suppose, that was playing in the locker room. That's just something wrong on a human level. But I think the point you made, which I find interesting, it's the abuse of power and... What type of behavior has become normalized within a locker room? And of course, what happens in pro sports is a lot different than what happens in real life. But at the same time, there are some similarities. There is something accept- more acceptable about behavioral and what things people say in a locker room as opposed to what happens in a work culture. Like some of the things that people say, yeah. with even teammates joking around, the things they say in a locker room is a lot different than what you can say in your lunchroom at work because Absolutely. some things will not fly. But there is something about... People being afraid of speaking out because they've been told and they have to accept that authority matters. And so, where does how big a part does the fear of authority come in? To the point you made, not just because you're fear afraid of the person in charge, but you're more afraid of hurting your own chances at longevity in the sport. Well, it's it's that is a big part of the problem. But it, there's
0: it's difficult. It, it's a uh, obviously a difficult thing to discuss. But I think it's so important to get into. Because on the one hand, in my view, part of what makes hockey culture great is also what makes it so problematic. And that is that sort of that loyalty, that, that team before self type of mentality. Tribalism to some degree. exactly. But on the flip side of that, like too much of that can get carried away and, and you can get caught up in that as being your loyalty. And like I said, you're respecting that or you care more for that than you do for yourself. Or more than you respect yourself, and I, I think that that is is something that can get lost in it all. Or, or even you know, you can witness something, but you're like, "Well, wow, that would that would really not be good for our team." So let's sort of mm-hmm. sweep that aside. And at the end of the day, uh, yes, I agree with you that things that are allowed to be talked about or are accepted in in a locker room in a sports setting are far different than other workplaces. But I also, and part of that is because I think there's a lag in in that type of hyper concentrated environment of a professional sports team, and because of the fact that you're just that much more like minded, and and you're that much more of a about common goals, and so there's there's less diversity, and I I don't mean diversity, and even though it is it is something obviously like whether it's racial, but just you have more that you are in line with in terms of, of the way you look at society, because you're, you're in this hyper elite segment, right? Like you, you've, you've worked up, you've come through, you've been shaped through this same process the whole way up. And so you end up with these, these situations where you're, you tolerate more. And part of that is because institutionally it's always been tolerated and it's just what you've been told to accept. And part of it is because you, it, it's just a different, different environment and different scenarios. So it's, that is changing it's changed a lot it changed a lot through my career in in 12 years or so of professional hockey and and i can only imagine now the way it is in in a locker room and it's very different than it was but there's still certain aspects that would be the same that i think you i want to see continually challenged i think that that's important and i look at that this now through the lens of a father Mm -hmm. looking at raising both a, a boy and a girl uh coming up in not just in sports, but in the world, in society and in what it is you want for your kids and how they're going to see the world, how the world's going to treat them. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a scary time. And as somebody who has, has gotten so much personally from the game of hockey, I find that you end up kind of defending hockey culture a bit, like, because people, people often want to just paint something with, with broad strokes and just, you know, one brush, this is the way it is. And it's, you know, there's a lot of really good about the game too. And there's a lot of really good things that come out of, out of sports. And, and, you know, you and I know that we work at a sports radio station. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's sports has been my, my livelihood for as long as I can remember. But it's also, there's more to it than that. There's about working together as a group, as a team, having those common goals. And it's, it's something that I want to see. You know, I I love the discussion. I love that in society right now, people are forcing issues and, we're having to have some difficult conversations, but I think that's when I see sort of a path forward. I think that's why I believe that there's um, a chance that things can improve because people are people are out here having these talks. And, and you know, I look at it from, in so many areas, I think of the work like Corey Hirsch has done mm-hmm. with, from a mental health point of view. 10, 15 years ago, people would have been scared literally to death to have those conversations. And... The work that he's done and has, has given other people the strength to come out and share their stories and more and more stories. And now this is another door that's opened to crack that's going to continue to go. And I think it, it could be scary to see where it goes. Some people that are going to surprise some people's names are going to be dragged out into this. But that's okay big picture because I believe it's towards something better.
1: One thing I want to see, because I'm not a big fan of let's just uncover all the perpetrators of certain acts and then try to outcast them in society. Say this person should never work in hockey again and this person should never have another job. This person belongs in jail or whatever. I want to get to the point where we hit these issues, educate and rehabilitate. Nothing's more powerful in my estimation in situations like this, Aldi, when somebody who did something, whether it is emotional abuse, physical abuse, racial abuse, whichever one of these – that understands where they went wrong and then wants to make a difference about how to prevent this from happening again. To me, that's more powerful than getting somebody, throwing them out of society and making them outcast and never letting them get past it again. That has more power to me. So this should be about, let's heal the game, let's move forward and let's make it more open to everybody else. And even those who have made missteps, let's, Let's help them rehabilitate and come back and let everybody be be part of it. And I know it sounds maybe utopian to some degree, but I'm sick and tired of people just yelling at each other. And sometimes it's the environment that's been built that people kind of fall trap into. It's the when you've seen power corrupting to some degree, when you fall into that position and you've seen what happened in the past, it's easy to fall into those same pitfalls. So I'm not about let's just outcast everybody that has stepped and made wrongs. But the game can't improve. There are certain things of that culture that can't improve. And if we just start with a simple notion, a bit more respect, is it that simple? Because I understand when it comes to pro pro hockey, there's going to be moments where a coach has to be honest. And sometimes you got to, you know, call out a player. And there is a fine line between being critical, being forceful, and straight up emotionally abusing somebody. Is the notion one of a bit more general respect? Is it that simple? Uh, that's a great place
0: to start it's but on another hand like i don't know i would say no i don't know that it can be so simple right because there are i think you made a great point earlier when you you said how it's it's kind of institutional it's what like every coach played the game Mm -hmm. like that's basically right At, at some level even though there's there's a couple outliers that maybe didn't play pro they played at some level or they've learned from an older coach who learned from an older coach so it becomes this generational institutionalized passing on of not just hockey knowledge but motivational knowledge. Well, that all comes through so many different generations where so like think about the people that and, and this isn't saying like Don Cherry's okay. It's okay what he did because he's old. Like I'm not saying that. But he learned from a coach. So think about what was acceptable when his coaches were kids and what they were learning as kids. It's just like when you hear people talk about, well, when I was a kid, we used to get, we used to get beaten for doing that. Well, like, okay, but that doesn't make it right. Like, I'm I'm sorry that you had to go through that. doesn't mean now you should Mm -hmm. beat your kids, right? So there's this, this level of, yes, respect is a great place to start. And Everything should come from respect. Let's respect each other. Let's respect your your players. If you're a coach, respect your coach. If you're a player, and if that if it's about respect and coaching from respect and leading from respect rather than fear, then a coach will have be comfortable in having the conversations, like being challenged, because it's about respect. You know what? I actually said no. Yes, respect's a great place to start. <laughs> I, I've talked myself into, into it. You no, know, because because I think that's a, the biggest paradigm shift here is we've gone from coaches who uh, led i'm using air quotes because they were viewed as leaders but essentially they pushed through fear and that hold they had on a player whether it was i'm going to send you down i'm gonna make you ride the buses like okay like I, yeah that's that's a real uh a real factor we've seen it with the canucks this week oh you don't produce enough we'll send you down and that there's a way to do that and there's a way to use that as motivation. But there's also a way to do that that could be crippling to to certain individuals. But if you respect the players and you respect them in a way that you're willing to learn what makes this player motivated and what will, will make this player tick and help them, then you're going to not just come in and just yell and scream and threaten everybody. You're going to look and say, all right, well, I need to be a little bit different with, with Sat over here because of the way his emotions are, it's different than Alex. Mm-hmm. Like, th- that's that's fine, right? And I think coaches are getting better at that, younger coaches – and, this is a generalization as well, but because of the generations they come up in they they view things a little bit differently we you know we talked with uh with Katie Crawford about working with millennials and how it's the they want to know why and that's that's a that's an empowering factor in today's youth and in today's hockey players that they want to know why not just because they're selfish, like I think a lot of people would think but it's because that actually is a great learning tool. You know why. It's not just memorizing the times tables. It's understanding the math process. That's a mathematical Very example. Very good. Yeah, I like it. But it, it's it's learning why you do something helps you understand it more holistically so you can go apply it. And I think that's a fantastic way to look at it in sports. It makes a lot of sense. Don't
1: just do this. Here's why so that you can actually utilize that tool and build off it. And it's okay to ask questions and press. And I think it's okay for a coach to give some tough love but there are some very clear lines. And Mm -hmm. in the recent stories, the Babcock one, I find to be on that line because do we call that emotional abuse when a player is asked to write a list as a rookie for the players he thinks works hard as a veteran and then the, the coach reads that to the rest of the team? It can be embarrassing for the coach. I'm not sure I call it emotional abuse or not, but for somebody who's been in a locker room, it's a situation like that abuse or is that just tough love or an outdated tactic? Like from a player who played in the league, like what? What is that one? Because I, I I cannot feel. I don't feel right clumping Babcock with Peters and some of the other things that have been said and done.
0: Right. I I, you know the that situation with with Mitch Marner. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have liked it, um, if I was a player and that that occurred. Obviously to me or, or to a teammate. Like I don't think that that's right. I don't think it's fair. But I I think you're right. Like it's it was misguided. It was definitely a misstep by Mike Babcock. But it also. Yeah, it definitely wasn't as egregious on this this scale of right. whatever you want to say. The worst thing you could do is like, it's
1: it is it does seem outdated. Because um, it's it's kind of shaming to some degree. Yeah. I find shaming is something we do a lot in society, especially on social media, where you'll shame somebody for an opinion or you'll try to make them feel stupid over something they've said. I don't like that. You know, is it abusive or not? That's that line. Well, the thing the thing that I
0: look at it though, if, if I'm if I'm on the coaching staff if i'm a player like i, I look at it and i'm like the thing that hurts me the most about this whole situation is you how much you violated that trust mm-hmm. like you you go out and you say look do this for me and like there's a there's a certain social contract there there's a trust that yes. this is in in confidence and then to go and broadcast it to everybody that like that is that's really wrong but I also look at it, I'm like, that's just undercutting yourself. Your mm-hmm. own credibility with the locker room, that's a massive hit. That's because- how you lose a room. Exactly. So it, I don't like that, but I agree that I I, would, I, don't, I don't lump it in, in the same, although it comes from a lot of the same place of my way, you know, I have power, abuse of power, abuse of trust, and that's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. And that's why as much as I want to say, yeah, it's not as bad – it's dangerous. Like it, it, it's a dangerous thing. And and then you look at it and you say, and this is what I started this by saying, there's so many different aspects and you can't just lump it in. Like you can't just say this good, that bad. It's not that simple because you're also dealing with people who they're like, at the end of the day, people are celebrated for going out and having a mentality of win at all costs, but not all costs. Right. Like, you know, like, it's like there's all this subtext to everything because what we say and what is cliche isn't actually real anymore. And you, you're you constantly tiptoeing that line the whole time. It's, it's a, it's a tightrope walk there. But you, and that's why I think like you have to come back to what are your core principles as a person? Wh- how are you going to operate in your life? And there are certain things internally you have to not be willing to do and I, I do think that the, the win at all costs mentality is also leaving the game a bit. Just even the, the, the human side, the personal side of things, the fact that, I mean, 50 years ago, guys couldn't even leave the team to witness the birth of their kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there, there's more personal time allowed. There's more understanding. And, and, and then you look at Mike Babcock and you want to say, well, that, that's not a great instance. Yet, Corey Hirsch and others are saying, this guy's been a fantastic advocate for yeah. mental health. Well, so people it's, are complex it, too. People right? are complicated. You no one is categorically good and bad. Like it it's it's very difficult to just look at it that way and, and have such broad generalizations mm-hmm. across everything.
1: But I do love the discussion. I do believe that the Babcock situation, you're right. It's not the same as Bill Peters, it's not the same as um some of the physical abuse situations. But it goes back to if you are operating by inducing fear and using your power to scare people and to use tactics that involve fear, shaming, that it does open a, or it leads to a slippery slope that somebody who's not as good as, say, evaluating how to not go too far, it leads to somebody kicking a player in the back. It leads to a a coach me dropping derogatory words towards players because it gets away from you. So everything is, is interconnected to some degree, but it's also one of those things that it's not an easy solution. So start with respect. And it's very simple too sometimes. Don't physically abuse somebody else and don't use derogatory words that are racially insensitive like, or blatantly racist. I understand there is a slippery slope, but there's also a very fine line. Hey, in society, you can't go smack somebody in the back of the head because he messed up on his TPS report, right? right. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. so why can you kick a player in the back, for instance, right? Like, if you are a leader at work, you can't drop the N-word because of the music they're playing, but you can tell them to not play this music, for instance, and it's like there are some very obvious situations that maybe these some of these people that make those decisions have to check themselves too, right? Maybe it's an individual thing too at the same
0: time. Well, and I, I would also say it's, an, it's why it's also important to not just surround yourself. Like, if you are in a position of power, that temptation to abuse power can be, it, it can be tempting, right? But it also could just sort of occur. It's that slippery slope we just talked about. But it's important not just surround yourself with with yes men. People are just like gonna say everything you're doing is great, like people who will call you on stuff because you good leaders, I believe, are are willing to listen and willing to change. And in certain areas, right? Like you have your sort of core principles that hopefully are rooted in good. And then you're but you're willing to adapt, you're willing to change because that's that's human nature. You, you need to be able to change and adapt with the times. And then you end up in these situations where you can actually have open dialogue with your players because it's not fear-based. If it's fear-based and, and my whole thing on coaching you, sad is that I'm just making you do what I want and I'm making you afraid of me. If you come and question that, that enrages me, mm-hmm. right? But if I'm empowering you with knowledge and information and showing you why and you could come back and I'm like, oh, this is an engaged student. Or athlete that I'm coaching, and this is great because they they want to understand more, and then maybe we can take this even further. So that that's a big part of it too. Where you're coming at it for, as a as a coach, um, it, it's the complicated dynamic for me is is looking at it and saying, you know, what do we want our kids to be like? what do i What do I view as the qualities of a good person as a good athlete? How does that all work together and if you're a teammate, do you want to be teammates with this person? but do you want to be teammates with them because they let you get away with stuff mm-hmm. and you can trust them, or do you want to be teammates with them because they've they've got your back in the right way and they're they're focused on this team and they're dedicated and they're good people and like those are two very different things that some people view as you know the opposite and or, or like they view they view in such different ways right and i and then you look at it and I, I think take time back into the way we're having these conversations about so many different aspects of society now and the fact that people are, are willing to come out and 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 share their stories you look at like me too movement you look at uh, mental health and the strides it's made with with you know being a, willing to talk about things that were taboo for years um there's promise there because I, I view this as like there's a there's an issue with people abusing power, but then there's also an issue with people not managing their emotions properly and and not people not really understanding what these emotions mean, what they're feeling, and how to handle it. And and I think this is where to me it's it's more societal. It's like for years you think back about well, we don't talk about things in our family. You know, a lot of people will have grown mm-hmm. up that way. Like, no, this is a family thing. We keep that internal. Right. Well, guess what? Like, family member, family member is the one who's sexually abusing another family member. We're mm-hmm. we not supposed to talk about that because right. it's family. Like, think about what that message is to a young child. Here is it? Oh, okay, Uncle Joe's doing this, but it's family. Keep that tight, right? Well, how do I deal with that emotion? Well, I've never been taught how to handle that emotion. So, as a society, we've been told this is acceptable. This is the way you should feel. This is when you're happy because this is accepted by society. So that's okay everything else suppress and then if you have these other emotions or your feelings or whatever it is in your life all of a sudden you're like well i'm weird i feel this way how how does that manifest itself how does that come out it comes out in all these different ways and that to me is where i see hope where i see promise because like i said we're we're having open dialogue we're having conversations there are There are radio shows discussing it. There are podcasts talking about it. There are people willing to take to social media and share their stories as painful as it can be. And I had this conversation with someone very close to me as well about this whole scenario. And, well, why are they talking about it now? And I get it. I get where that's coming from. But they're talking about it now so that this maybe doesn't happen to someone else down the road, right? Like this is something that you want to have. You want to make progress as a society, as a generation of, of a as a player, right you, you want to leave that type of legacy you want to make progress, and I think that's really important that you share you share your situations, you share your your past, your experiences good and bad and and not just not just share what society is telling you or you think is acceptable by society um, and makes you look good or makes you feel good like and that's danger in social media there's it's all this messaging all this branding and it's branding i mean instagram is branding and you have to be really careful about what you're taking in and again i take it back to kids what are they seeing what are they coming up in it's it's a scary
1: time yet i think there's promise because we're open we're open to talking strong words good stuff alex and i know it's an issue we can keep talking about but we had to we had to hit it it's important i know a lot of people have been um dealing with a lot of things and i know a lot of stories are coming out as well so it's important for us to touch on this but well and you think about it, our main two subjects the
0: last two podcasts were we're former coaches mm-hmm. right don cherry mike babcock last yeah. week we recorded the day babcock got fired and like that's something very topical and also something that i i, I i'm proud that we have a platform where we can get into stuff so
1: Yeah. Good stuff. All right. We'll take a bit a little break and we'll come back and dig into those Vancouver Canucks here on the Canucks pod on sportsnet six. Hey, it is the uh, one duo that has better ratings than Satyar Shah and Alex all. That's uh, reach deep. Do we know that for a fact reach about the rating? Uh, I'm going to make it a fact. It is definitely not a deep reach. All
0: right. One of the reasons that is the case, because we have Chris Johnson every Monday, our
1: NHL insider of Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, and we have Shane O'Brien on Wednesdays at two o'clock, our favorite former Canuck and yours. Sorry, Alex. Yeah, but Alex is still a great dude. I mean, we, we all remember his MVP season with the Canucks.
0: Yeah, don't ever mention Marty Jelena around here. <laughs> kind of
1: hurts him. Uh, we, uh, we love and Alex, and uh, it's good to have this show on board uh, here at Sportsnet 650. But, of course, always be listening to Reach Deep. Dan Richo and Randy Janna, 1-4 to 4 on Sportsnet 650. welcome back to the canucks pod satyar shaw with alex ald here on sportsnet and sportsnet 650 these vancouver canucks got off to a great start this season gone through some struggles had some injuries to some bottom six players and then the other night in pittsburgh happened poor first period it looked really bad a lot like what we saw in the against the flyers in period two and three Then they come alive in the second. They take a 6-3 lead in the third period, and everybody's seen what happened, and they've gone through it, and they have big games coming up this weekend, back-to-back against Edmonton, home and away. What's the psyche like for a team that now on two occasions has squandered three and four goal leads? One at home against the Capitals the other night in Pittsburgh, and Travis mentioned something uh, interesting post-game, and he said it seemed like the moment... Got to some of the young guys a little bit. He did single out the younger players feeling it a bit as that game was switching towards the Pittsburgh Penguins.
2: It's six three, and I know our team was feeling pretty good about themselves. Hit the post to make it to make it seven three, and we take a penalty, which happens. I thought we made a couple individual mistakes that we'd like to have back, uh, and they get they capitalize on it and make it six five, quick, and uh, you know I thought then we felt the heat a little bit you could feel it in the building all of a sudden you know they got to put you know Melkin kind of took over the game a bit and i thought we had some you know we had a young group of forwards playing and uh probably haven't been in that kind of scenario in the nhl for a little for maybe ever and uh it felt like all of a sudden we couldn't we wouldn't make a play uh we lost some puck battles in our zone and uh you know, we talk about it. In those kind of games, you got to pay the price to win, and uh, I didn't think we did that.
1: How do you overcome a loss like that when it seemed like you had a big victory on the road in the bag? Well, it's not easy. Um, I would agree that the moment—I mean, that
0: that type of uh, term is is a funny one because I've I've been in those moments, and I often as I'm driving around and I'm listening to the games, I'll often hear Corey Hirsch talk about it from the goalie's point of view. And I I agree, like some of these times when it it feels overwhelming, like bang, bang, couple goals, you feel like, man, I just, it's, that moment is so much. It's so much on the individual. It's so much on the team. You're just hoping someone can stop the bleeding. How do you, there's that sort of in the moment, moment, like handling of it. And then there's afterwards and, and moving forward next game. I would say though the, the Canucks responded pretty well last time this happened when it was the blown lead against the Capitals. Like they they it's not like that just totally derailed derailed everything. I'll be really curious to see how they manage the, the coming week here, or the coming weeks. And health is is something that's that's real, but it's also opportunity and opportunity to kind of test some of these young guys in these spots and test some young guys like Adam Goddard who's done a lot of really good things but then has to take a couple really key face-offs as well and maybe maybe fails a bit in that area. But that's okay. Like it's part of learning. I think that's the key though is you don't you don't get so caught up in the moment from a looking back and dwelling on it point of view. You want to learn to manage the moment. You need to get comfortable being a little bit uncomfortable and sometimes the only way to do that is to go through it and see and then you, you, you take what you learn and you look at what you can improve on. But I overall this team has had some some pretty good responses. But it's learning, right? And and you you take that time to kind of get there. And and I look back at a lot of really good teams they who you look at and you're like, man, this this team's rolling right now, whether it becomes a dynasty or a couple cups. And you they've with these growing pains they go through. And that's part of learning. It's part of learning what's it like on a six-game road trip. You're flying all over the place. Off days, you're just trying to sleep whenever you can. You've got to mix, you know, figure out when you're eating every meal. Like all of this stuff, that a lot of people look at and kind of take for granted, or, or just out. Oh, there. I and they're high paid athletes mm-hmm. flying charter. Like this should be easy. It it takes a physical toll, and you learn it in the moment. And and there's there's no way to really prep for it. And so you have to go through it. And then afterwards, you sort of debrief and, and talk about it, whether it's the guys hot stoving about it over a beer or on the plane, or whether it's the coaches and having a more, more, uh, you know, official meeting with the guys. But you talk about these things and talk about those emotions. And that's, that's the kind of stuff where when Travis Green's like, yeah, we, we, you know, we, we discussed that in the room. Like it, it comes up. It's like, Hey, this didn't go well, but this is how we can handle it going forward. This is the things we did do well. And I think that's important too, is to look at some of the positives out of a game and, and it, some people would be like, hey, there are no positives out of that game. I mean, they scored six goals. Five at even strength. Yeah. Like the, there's, there's some positives there. They just, you know, didn't score didn't <laughs> score more. Like, the other team scored more. They gave up eight. Well, that's not good either, right? But there are some positives to take from it. And learning how to manage the moment, like, like all things. I mean, it, life's timing, right? Like, whether you're a comedian mm-hmm. or whether, anybody, it's timing. Your opportunity, being able to take advantage of it, not being able to take advantage of it. And sports is great because it's this consistent, like over and over again, back on the horse again. You go back at it tomorrow. And sometimes like, and that's what I love about in, in minor hockey when you get into a tournament setting is it's like two games a day. The memory is so short. You can just roll right, oh, next game, next game, next game. And I think Shell's a lot like that. Uh, but, but for grownups, like it's it's every couple of days, sometimes back to back, you get
1: right back on the horse again. Is there a fear, though, for a young team that after a moment like that, depending on what the message is from the coaches, that they almost grip the stick a bit too much in a similar situation when it comes up again? Does it does that kind of carry over? Or is every game its own organism to some extent?
0: Oh, it definitely can carry over. Um, I, I absolutely... Wh- whatever you want to say about whether momentum carries over game to game, emotions and confidence absolutely carry mm-hmm. over. I mean confidence is is such an important factor of of the athletic psyche and you that can carry through carry you through some really tough spots or it can sink you so yeah how you manage that and again so like I said it's it's the moment it's the actual time when in the instance is occurring in the game how you manage that how you manage the pressure and the momentum of the game but then also how you manage post and 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 the self talk is really important also the messaging from the coach the way the, the way the players receive that message is that message uh has it grown stale have you lost the room if you're a coach and i'm not saying this about travis green i'm just thinking big picture like mm-hmm. s- scenarios like a coach can come in and say the most amazing thing you've ever heard like i'm talking any given sunday most inspiring speech ever talking about inches and then, i mean it's great but you don't respect them you don't it's lost mm-hmm. it doesn't matter right so you, you has, does the coach still have the room? Do the players still respond? Um, that's a really important factor as well. And how good are the players at learning their lessons, both individually and collectively as a group? How good is is player X at taking this that went, went wrong and applying it next time? Or are they one of the, like some people need three or four failures to get it right. Some people it's immediate. Uh, really good learners are pretty quick at it, right? some guys who aren't as good and yeah, pretty good learners in terms of general society, but we're also talking about a pretty filtered down elite crop of people um, playing professional sports in a league. And you're like, all right, how good are they? How quick can they pick this up? Because guess what? Someone else is also going to be applying some pressure on this as well on the other team. And so you have to kind of, you look at all those factors and, and the message is, like you said, it's, it's crucial how you respond. And that's, that's I, I always think back, it was, a, it was a brutal year for me, my year in Florida. Um, Ed Balfour would always say to me he was my goalie partner and he would say it's not what happened it's how you respond
1: it's how you respond that's a Hall of Fame career right there right well, and, and the response is easy to say. Respond the Eddie's right not way. Mine. No, <laughs> it's easy to say respond in the right way. But what can a coach do within a game? Because I do mm-hmm. believe we, we talk so much about, or at least fans talk a lot about, should have called the timeout. And one of the reasons I believe uh, fans and oftentimes media fixate on the timeout because it's the one easy thing to look at from an <laughs> NHL coach. Back. that's an yeah. obvious one. You call the timeout. Maybe that makes a difference because it's much harder to evaluate. Everything else about hockey, because it, it works and moves so fast. So sometimes the formational stuff, especially on TV, when we don't have a view of the entire ice. It's harder to understand, okay, what stylistically are they doing different to stem the tide or whatever? But that whole timeout notion, if that timeout was called when it was 6, let's say 6-4 instead of 6-5, does that make a difference as a former player? How much of a difference can something like that make?
0: Maybe, right? Like it, Maybe it does. Or may, maybe he calls the timeout and says something stupid.
1: And everyone's like, like
0: oh. Well, yeah. like you, you, timeouts are a valuable commodity as well too, right? Yeah. You want to keep that in your pocket because you might need that. You might need that timeout. And so it, it's, it, it, I laughed though when you said it's an easy thing to point out because it's one of the few things that, it's tangible. Yeah. It's understandable. Yeah. It's it's obvious. It's statistical in yeah. a way, right? It's, it's something that you either have your time out or you don't. You used it or you didn't. This yeah. is when you used it. Okay. It's an easy thing to look at. Mm-hmm. It's almost a lazy thing to look at as a turning point or a reason. And it's, it's, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this. That means it's going to be good. So make sure you're recording, Cam. <laughs> to me, it's that sort of thinking. It could be right. Yeah, maybe, maybe that stops momentum. But it's also the kind of thinking of the minor hockey parent who only understands goals, assists, and penalties because it's the only thing that's counted.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, well, my kid's no good; they don't score, or they're great; they score. Like, yeah, but they score, but they can't win a battle to save their life. Mm-hmm. Like the the puck is bouncing in off their head. <laughs> yeah, like it, you it's know. Not good. So it, there's there's more to it. It's nuanced. There is so much about it that like you don't you don't know. Maybe he doesn't feel he needs a timeout because he's putting his most experienced players on the ice right now who he trusts in that moment and he's reading the riot act to everyone else on the bench. Or, you know what I mean? Like, we don't know what the idea, what the thought process is. Um, well, I would say this about Travis. He's fairly open with with that type of thing, but no coach is fully open about what they're exactly thinking in the moment, nor can they always remember it. Mm-hmm. I mean, for people, right? Like, not everyone remembers every every decision or maybe you just don't, you don't think to, and that doesn't mean you're bad or it doesn't mean you're good. Like it's it's should I use my timeout? No, I might need it later for a challenge or what I might need it later because maybe we need to draw something up or man, we're I I trust these guys. Is trusting someone to get through it as a bit of a test, is that a bad thing? No? Maybe it's just seeing what they can do, what they can't, just give and take, right? You 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 give these young players a little bit of rope, see what happens, give them a leash. Can they handle it? No, next time, maybe he will call the
1: timeout then. Maybe he won't. Yeah, I always look at that and I kind of wonder, yeah, sometimes, yeah, go ahead, call the timeout. But I do think we fixate on that a bit more than the actual value it has within a game. And when it comes to Travis, how important will it be here these next two games, back-to-back against Edmonton, one on the road to finish up the six-game road trip on Saturday, then back home on Sunday against the Oilers again? How important is it for them to get good results in both games. I'm not saying win both games, but let's say you pick up three out of four points or something. How important is it when they come home for December where the schedule gets a bit easier too, not as many games, the opponents aren't as strong as the ones they face in November. But how important are these next two games to get things back on track? Well,
0: in theory, you could win both, right? Mm -hmm. You could get four points and not play well. And that to me is a dangerous trap because a lot of people will look and say, oh, they're back. Like everything's good, All, all's well. But that also is, is kind of this, like I said, it's a trap that you're, oh, we're, we're great. So to me, it's more, it is important. These games are important. To me, it's more important that they, they show well in terms of their process, that they go out and play the way they need to play to be successful, um, that they, that it's not, that it's an opportunity that gives them, a, they go and play games that are chances to win, right? They give themselves a chance, to be successful doesn't necessarily have to be successful because what the players players know when a coach walks in and sells them on the idea like yeah you lost but you could have won okay in in an 82 game season you you have to take that as a bit of a victory and people people love to scoff and laugh at moral victories as a saying from a coach but it's true because the players get it other people don't always get it because it's not quantifiable. You can't count it. You can't count it on a table somewhere. But that's that's part of the experience in it. And that's part of understanding because it's everything's out on display right there, right? Like the game, the game is happening in front of everyone's eyes, and nobody understands who's in it or not in it or competing or not competing more than the players. The people out there playing, and they see, okay, this is a game, this is the way we need to play. We play at our best. And lose to Connor McDavid when he's at his best. That's okay if if we like our game. That's better than go out and winning and having them not the Oilers not mm-hmm. play great, game, in my view, because it's better for long-term success. Yeah, a one-off, you need the points, sure. You you want to get a win anyway, you can, right? But you look at it, it's about building still. This team is still building. They still have to find their their process. They still have to find their identity. And I do think their identity is a little bit in flux when they're not healthy because they're not they're deeper than they were, but they're not deep enough to handle the bottom six falling out of their roster, which is kind of crazy to think about. You know, the the much maligned bottom six of years gone
1: by are now this the reason they're not doing well. But part of the reason is it just puts so much more pressure on some of the other guys like yes. Bo Horvat has to play 25 minutes yeah. a game, has to take every face off. And defensively... It's too much for anybody. And you see the defensive lapses from those yeah. guys that have been overworked and overtaxed. And God, that's done a lot of great things. Well, two of the goals that were scored against him were him losing two draws that led to... That maybe goals would That he wouldn't even be taking. Right. right? And so, he does really good things mm-hmm. on the offensive side of stuff. But all of a sudden, he can get exposed on the road defensively. And those situations do matter. And I... And, that's kind of the pitfall for this team so far. But we'll see how these next couple of games go. We'll talk again next week, Aldi, about where the Canucks are at. And when they get healthier, you know, are they missing Furlan and Roussel and Beagle and Sutter and Mott a lot more than many of us would have assumed they would at this point? You
0: know who they could use? Who? Alex Burroughs. Oh, yes. Ring of Honor next week.
1: Um, are we going to um, – are we doing something with –
0: We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. All right.
1: Well, stay tuned. He is Alex Ald. I'm Satsi Arshad. Thanks to Canberra for producing the heck out of the Canucks pod. We'll be back again next week. A lot to get to. He worked hard, Cam. I like, guess he awesome. he's sweating over there. He fell asleep. Nobody pushes
0: buttons as well as Canberra. It's not. It's like. <laughs> it's like the DJ at the club, right? They're like they, they're fake spinning stuff. Yeah. It's like no, you press a button once every three or four minutes. It's like yeah. And I, for
1: Cam, it's once every forty-five minutes. It's like that beat was going to drop no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> All right, talk soon. The look on her face when that toad jumped out at her was priceless. So does that mean I can stay for a little while?
2: Well, you better. There's a toad at the aquarium who's waiting to try on your knapsack.